And there's a million ways to say approach a job search, right? And figuring out how to spend your time and what to put effort into and working through all of the mythologies and misinformation about how to go about this process and you know all of the different advice out there but taking a step back and really getting a true understanding of what's required tactically but also how all of those different activities can work together towards your goal and yeah you have to be much more intentional you have to do some foundational work of who am i as a professional and a person What are my values? Like, how do I want to live my life? Which of these potential opportunities is going to allow me to live the life that I want to live? And so foundationally, really doing some thinking, but not dwelling on things for so long that you don't take an action, however small, to move forward and, again, test a hypothesis about a possibility that you might be interested in. Welcome to Unleash Your Mindset, a podcast where I talk to creatives to learn actionable strategies that can help you achieve your creative potential. In each episode, my guests also share a listener challenge to help you take action and make a positive change in your life right away. So make sure to stay till the end. My guest today is Amy Santee, a career strategist and coach. Amy is a champion for UX professionals who want to design their careers with intention and bring their good to the world through a practice of self-research, self-respect, self-advocacy, and strategy. With all the uncertainty and recent tech layoffs, it is good to know that we have amazing people like Amy on our side to guide us and support us through career changes. I'm really excited to show, share this conversation with you because there's there are a lot of insights that I know you can apply in your career search. So let's get to it. Before we get started, I just wanted to share a quick programming note. My conversation with uh, Amy happened in October 2022. So by the time that you're listening to this, they, they have already been a lot of tech layoffs. And so some of the points that we made may not hold up well. So just so you know, and uh, yeah, I hope you enjoy the conversation. Thanks. Welcome to the podcast, Amy. Thank you, Rizwan. I'm so excited to be here and chat with you on your podcast. I've been looking forward to this day. I've been visiting your amazing website and I'm just in awe and how beautiful it is. <laughs> I don't say that a lot, but your website it makes me want to redesign my website. <laughs> so, <laughs> so. Thank you. I've had a website professionally for, I don't know, a decade, and it's gone through so many iterations. And now that I'm doing a completely different job than I was previously as a UX researcher, it was important for me to do a total redesign. And it's the first website of mine that I've actually really loved, whereas the other ones served their purpose, but I didn't love them in the same way. Thank you for the compliment. Speaking of your... Can you introduce yourself to the listeners? Yeah. So as you mentioned, I am both a career strategist and a career coach, and I work with people specifically. So designers, researchers, content people, 
research ops managers. I work with a wide variety of UX professionals who have one thing in common, which is they want to make some kind of change and feel really good about it. And it could be a job change. It could be deciding to leave a company where they make a lot of money, but they're burned out. Could be transitioning from academia into user experience and how to go about that process through being really strategic and mindful and intentional. It could be people trying to figure out other types of professional development things, challenges in the workplace, promotions, whatever it might be. So people who are looking to make a change, but who want to make sure that it's the right decision, that their decision-making lens is refined enough so that they can feel confident. And it's it's like UX, right? We want to de-risk decision-making in product design. So it's kind of the same thing where, you know, if you're about to make a big change, do the research, collect the data, test hypotheses, and feel good so that you make a decision with confidence and know you're going in the right direction. I feel like your approach is more intentional and thoughtful. Instead of going full blast, taking a step back and doing it methodically, systematically, and with intention to get the results you want. Exactly. And that's what helps you do that in a more accelerated way. And there's a million ways to, say, approach a job search, right? And figuring out how to spend your time and what to put effort into and working through all of the mythologies and misinformation about how to go about this process and, you know, all of the different advice out there. But yeah, actually taking a step back and really getting a true understanding of what's required tactically, but also how all of those different activities can work together towards your goal. And yeah, you have to be much more intentional. You have to do some foundational work of Who am I as a professional and a person? What are my values? Like, how do I want to live my life? Which of these potential opportunities is going to allow me to live the life that I want to live? And so foundationally really doing some thinking, but not dwelling on things for so long that you don't take an action, however small, to move forward and, again, test a hypothesis about a possibility that you might be interested in. We live in our heads a lot, and it's hard for us to get over our own thoughts and take action. Is that something that you've experienced? Absolutely. It's such a common human mindset generally, but I do see that amongst my clients and UX people. We have a certain way of thinking, right? A certain way of seeing problems and coming up with solutions and ideas and executing projects. And all of these different characteristics, I think, can be applied to this kind of work as well, where, you know, where it's like, take a human-centered, iterative research and design type approach to figuring out things for yourself. And yes, part of it is, I think, Getting more clear and identifying self-limiting beliefs or behavior patterns that might not be serving you that 
you have used for coping mechanisms in the past for whatever reason, or even just getting an outside perspective. That's something that people want is for someone else to validate how they're feeling or to challenge it or to present other ways of looking at things. And oftentimes I do just play the role of really trying to encourage people and help them maintain motivation and build some confidence and confidence is a practice and a mindset. And you can read articles about how to build confidence and whatnot, but unless you actually start to implement little practices, you're not going to know what it it feels like. And you're not going to know that you can have a different reality compared with how you have existed in the past I talk to and work with a lot of academics and everyone basically feels that academia is a very toxic environment. And I just spoke with someone today who was talking about how it takes away any confidence that you have as a person in academia. You're made to feel like you're not special in any way that you always constantly have to be working your ass off to achieve the highest accomplishments and be like your peers and all of that. And that also exists in industry to some extent as well, but it can really degrade the confidence that people have. So if they're trying to move from academia into UX research, for example, that can be an area for improvement because if you don't have the confidence that you are qualified to make that transition, that you do have something special about you and your point of view to bring to the table, that you deserve more money, that you deserve a different kind of work environment and life. You need to build that up to get that job and to just do your job search more effectively. Yeah. I feel like a lot of it comes down to the mindset. Everybody has skills, but the mindset can set you up apart from everybody else, having that confidence. And uh, speaking from my own experience, not having that and seeing how it kind of kept me in, a, in the same spot, same place through a long part of my career, I can see just how limiting that is. But when you're in it, it feels like that's your reality. This is how things are. There's no other way around it. But once you say work with a coach or you get that external feedback, you realize, okay, this is not right. I can achieve my potential. I can achieve the same success as other people. I have the same abilities. So I'm a big believer in coaching and getting that external point of view. Yeah. And it's, it's not just in the workplace that we might be instilled with these kind of beliefs, but in our life experiences and our childhood experiences, and like we can carry that stuff with us over the course of our lives and it can continue showing up. And I try to get people to think of this idea of does this thing serve you actually this behavior that you have or this decision to take the first job that you get, right? You deserve the job that you want. And yes, I think that confidence to know that, you know what, I could turn down this job offer because it doesn't mean my requirements knowing that I will be successful in finding another job offer, that's a pretty big deal. And I see some people do that effectively. And then 
some other folks, it takes a little bit more effort, but really try to work with people, not just on their resume and their portfolio and their LinkedIn and interview prep, but also this mindset piece that is just so important. I feel like you were in my head just in that moment. Don't go for the first job that comes up. And that's the mindset I used to have. And now I feel like I'm in a better position to find the right fit for me and the company. And so being okay with getting a no, having that job that I wanted or all those things that come into play, I'm able to handle the those much better now than I was before. Before it was just, just go for the first thing and, and just be happy with it. That's And you're lucky to yeah. even get that offer. Exactly. Because you're an imposter and you don't actually know what you're doing. And so you're getting this job and thank goodness someone, I was able to trick someone into thinking that I'm qualified. Yeah, that's how people think. But, you know, I would say imposter syndrome, as we discuss it, is one thing. And that is I'm qualified, but for some reason I feel like I'm not or other people will not think I am or I'm like making it up, right? But you actually are qualified and competent. This other side is I'm new to UX. I'm new to research in a business context versus research in an academic context. And those are different things, right? There, there might be both of those things happening, but there's just a lot of stuff to learn for any kind of job that you might want to go into. And so it's nuanced and we have to like work on teasing out those sorts of differences. Do you think it's like a 50-50 split between mindset and skills there's always a mindset component like with every client i feel like there's always going to be that component and it could be just minor things every now and then or it could be some like underlying challenges that someone has beliefs about themselves or what they think is the truth right and kind of going with the flow of how they've done things so sometimes it's a much bigger component and coaching is not therapy so you can go to a therapist to specifically address mental health challenges or whatever it might be, but cognitive behavioral theory is applicable in coaching. Mindfulness type stuff is applicable. Confidence. Talking about stuff that's very emotional, that's all very relevant to coaching, and it's something that a lot of people need. So just having studied that kind of stuff as part of my coaching training I've been going to therapy for over 10 years myself. I have a lot of personal experiences with regard to that. And just having worked with so many people and seeing how they experience these sorts of things just makes me, I think, more effective in helping with that mindset, brain portion of this work. Now I'm realizing it. I think culture plays a big part in mindsets as well, being from... Pakistan originally, you know, just the mindset that that happens as you grow up in families. And then if you immigrate and all those things, they add up to challenges that you may face. You know. And I have worked with a significant number of people who are not originally from the United States and who have really interesting, um, really cool, but also somewhat challenging cultural origins when it comes to this sort of thing, expectations, right, from parents, for example, which get instilled. Also, the added challenge of trying to find a job with a visa and that pressure, right, like I need visa sponsorship, that adds so much more pressure and time constraints. 
and just another <laughs> challenge into the pot. So yeah, that absolutely does come up. And I think another mindset shift that is really helpful is letting go of perfectionism. <laughs> and I'm a recovering perfectionist. I have like done so much to get rid of that and to practice not caring and to just kind of remove that from my life. Not that I'm sure it doesn't, it still comes up every now and then, right? Because that's just how it is. But I do see that a lot, especially from academics, again, who, you know, they have a PhD, it took them seven years, they had to write a giant dissertation, just always being scrutinized and being made to feel like they have to do the absolute best possible. And there's no such thing as good enough. Like nothing is ever good enough. Right. So that's a big thing that comes in too. And let's say you're working on preparing for some interviews. You could spend infinite amount of time trying to prepare for every possible question. And I remember I did this once kind of earlier on in my career, a job came up and I was so excited about it. And I spent the entire weekend from Friday evening to Sunday evening preparing for this interview on Monday. And I totally screwed up because I was just so overwhelmed. I was so worried about having the perfect answer for every possible question. And I have a vivid memory in my mind visually right now of sitting in this room and just like talking super fast and not totally making sense and just kind of a vague memory of the person interviewing me. And I could tell that they probably kind of felt bad, you know, due to the, the performance. And then, you know, I finished and I, I just knew that I had bombed it. But it's because I did that and I had that mindset. And even for podcasts, like when I first started going on podcasts, I would spend so much time like thinking through what should I say? What can I say? How do I introduce myself? All that. And now I just don't even prepare. I looked at your list of questions briefly. I didn't think about them anymore. And to be able to make that shift to not preparing at all because you feel confident to know that it will go well versus spending inordinate amounts of time to prepare for every possible thing, that's a huge shift. It's been really beneficial. I can sense that shift as well. Instead of worrying about what other people will think, you just say what you want to say and express yourself instead of overthinking what other people may think or how you come across and just do what you need to do instead of worrying about things that are out of your control. Exactly. I try to take that approach generally in my life and professionally and whatnot, because that's a really important value of mine is integrity to myself. And don't get me wrong. There are moments where I focus too much on what other people might think but it's much less common than it used to be. Yeah, I don't think we ever get over any of these. They all show up in different ways. That's when you think you are over it, it's going to show up in a different way where you hadn't expected. So there's always work to be done. <laughs> the practice to implement there is to just be observant and notice when you're doing it and then call it out and be like, oh, okay, I'm seeing things in this way. And that's because I have this inner voice that's saying that and that's kind of part of me but then you just learn to handle it better manage it better move on more quickly are there any 
techniques or strategies you suggest to practice that, to, to become comfortable with just who you are? Yes. I think it could start with collecting data on yourself. If you notice that you react in a certain way to certain triggers or there are certain types of people that you just can't be around. Dig further into why that might be. Explore it. Collect enough data on your experiences, associated emotions. How do these things conflict with your values and self-expression, right? So, for example, personally speaking, When I worked as a UX researcher, I worked in several companies and there were times where I internalized workplace toxicity as my own fault. And why can't I handle working in this kind of environment? Why am I not good enough and what can I improve why am I going in the bathroom every week and crying, right? I knew these things were happening and I internalized the toxic work environment as somehow my problem and my fault and that I'm not good enough to be in this type of work environment. And it took several years and lots of therapy conversations and just kind of moving on from this experience earlier on in my career. I want to say this is about 10 years ago where I worked at this place to realize, wow, this was a toxic work environment and it was abusive. No wonder I reacted in the ways that I did. Just kind of reflecting on experiences to find patterns and then take a step back and go, is this actually about me? Is it about something else? And instead of saying, I'm not fit to be in a work environment like an agency or a corporation or whatever, turn it around and say that I, yes, while I have things that I can improve in my interactions with people, just as everyone does, and while I can understand other perspectives, I now think that those environments are not suitable for me, just based on the way, on who I am and what I care about and the kind of I don't know, just the what I would prefer to experience in a workplace is perhaps not as common. And I've tried every possibility to deal with things and manage things, but there's only so much you can change and control. And so ultimately, you know, later on, I made a choice to just remove myself completely from working inside of companies and be a consultant and then become a coach. And this totally suits me. It gives me the lifestyle I want. I feel happy. And I don't go, wow, I'm not good enough to work at such and such company. It's more of the opposite. That's a common thought pattern that comes up that, oh, I'm not good enough to work at this big company or that big, that agency. And when you're in those toxic environments, I'm just thinking back to when I was in one. And I thought, this was it. This was my lot in life. <laughs> this is <laughs> how things are because maybe I'm just not good enough and this is what's there for me. But now that I look back at it, I realize that I'm glad that I was able to get out of it, get out of it and that not every place is toxic. There are 
good places that you can work in, who care for you, who, who want you to succeed. When you're in that moment, it's critical to not internalize things and not get down on yourself because the environment is bad. Curious for you, like, what was the main moment of realization that you needed to leave that job? I think it was just the interpersonal struggles with the management and just the way they were thinking. And and I think right at that time, I think UX was just starting to become more of a field. And then I realized that, at that before that, I was a web designer. And so I was like, okay, I'm going to dive into this and take a chance, like ready to move past that environment and do something but but i knew it it was going to be good for my career so luckily it worked out (laughs) yeah and good for your mental health your general well-being which i see that people don't prioritize that as much as i would like them to and the more aware you become of that the more you see it ubiquitous around you so many people even in my personal life i just see how they complain about something and there's a very clear path that they could take, but it's so uncomfortable and it's so scary and they're afraid of what people will say or do or think that they just continue to deal with this very unfair situation or burden or whatever it might be. And there's only so much that I can do as, you know, a friend or family member or whatever, or even as a coach, but I do try to highlight those sorts of things when I see them. That's a great point. Have you experienced big changes now that there are a lot of layoffs and a lot of changes happening in in companies and careers? Yeah, it's interesting because the media and LinkedIn news headlines, it's layoffs at this company, layoffs at this company. And so when it's constantly in our face, we're going to bring up a bias, an assumption that it's just this thing that's just happening everywhere to every company, and there's not going to be any more jobs tomorrow. And so it's definitely a trend, and I expect the trend to continue. But there's more to it than that. It's which people are getting laid off? What kind of companies, right? It's big companies might have like freezes more than layoffs and that some have layoffs. Right. But then I'm seeing a lot of mental health startups, so many mental health startups that are laying people off. And my opinion is that it's because they don't have viable business models. Right. That's a huge thing that I see amongst a lot of the places laying people off is, well, there's something about their business model, right. That is not viable in this moment. Your question was a bit different, but I wanted to preface it by saying that if someone's worried about that, to just take it with a grain of salt and to look at the details and see, like, how would this really affect me, right? If I'm in a senior role, I'm probably golden to find jobs. Like, I'm not going to have trouble finding a job. If I'm an entry-level person who just finished a design boot camp, yes, it's still possible for me to find a job. It's generally very hard for that group of people, and it might become a little bit harder, you know, moving forward, right? Like, these things will affect different people in different ways. But to answer your question, one thing I do see come up is people kind of grasping onto these headlines, 
a little mm. bit more than is helpful, kind of just making assumptions about, well, if there's layoffs and there's fewer jobs, then I'm not going to be able to get a job. And mm. that's just such a generalized conclusion about the situation. Maybe it's harder to get a job if your resume isn't in a great place or if you don't know how to tell your story or if you're not strategic. And I try to remind people that your job search is going to look totally different from this other person's and they may be just all over the place with what they're doing. And you are going to be a lot more intentional and you're going to know how to position yourself and you're going to build up the confidence to make this happen. So therefore it will be more likely for this to happen to you. Looking at the headlines and this is the first thing you think about, you, you go to that negative space. Okay things are really bad. Your mind goes to the negative places that what if it happens to me tomorrow and all those things come up. And I was actually thinking that just yesterday that if I was laid off, how would I react? How would I, would I be in the right mindset to, to not go in a downward spiral or, or would I be able to look for a job with intention and be thoughtful about it. Yeah, you're right. And you can prepare. You can think about that, right? Okay, if that yeah. happens to me, what does that mean? How do I prepare so that I'm not scrambling? Maybe it's just keep your resume up to date. If you haven't worked on your resume in two years, just update yeah. the resume. Spend a day this weekend, right? Or yeah. update your LinkedIn if it's out of date, job searches should not just be people looking for jobs proactively. Your LinkedIn should always have the open to work thing on the back end. So like there's the open to work banner on your profile and it's the green circle and it's just a public indication that you're looking for a job. There's yeah. a back end version that you can turn on that recruiters will see if they're searching for people and everyone should always have that turned on and everyone should look at their LinkedIn messages and see what comes through because jobs will come your way that you didn't seek out, that you didn't expect. It could be your dream company. And that's why it's important to have that profile up to date because, you know, it's up to date. It's accurate. People know where you're at. And so I guess my point being that, you know, if I were in your position, I would kind of preemptively do something like that just to make sure that opportunities could come through my inbox. That's a great point to be proactive and be ready for if it does happen, because nobody knows it will happen to them or not. But we can take the steps to be prepared and prepare our LinkedIn profile, resume, portfolio, have those things ready. Yeah. And, you know, prioritizing, right? So, if you have your resume and your LinkedIn up to date and you have a website that has just enough info, it's fine. And then if you do decide to pursue some interviews, then yeah, then get into gear and work on your portfolio presentation, right? So I think, yeah, some stuff is good to prepare for. I also think too, like pay attention to what's going on at your company, like kind of step back and assess like what is our business model here and is it similar to other companies that have had issues and any like signals within the company, like budget cuts, budget cuts are a predecessor to layoffs sometimes. So just being really aware and yes, getting yourself into 
a spot so that, and also networking. This is why ongoing networking, not just when you need a job, but ongoing networking over the course of your career is important because we find jobs through our network. We get recommended or referrals from people we meet. They think of us, even though they chatted with us a year ago, oh, I heard about this job. Are you interested? Right. So I think that's why that's beneficial as well. Do these things consistently enough rather than just when you're looking for a job. And when I decided to leave in-house work and go into consulting, which I did for two and a half years or so, I didn't have a hard time finding clients Mm -hmm. because I had a network because I know people because I meet people and go to events and I do talks and I go on, I do all this stuff that just builds up my presence and my network and my credibility and reputation. And so I didn't really have to work all that hard to find people. You can just share that you're looking for a job or share that you're a consultant or share that you've switched into some totally different job. And then people will come to support you. That's a great point that everybody should be putting their thoughts out there and have a voice instead of just being on the sidelines, but constantly just find opportunities to share your brand, share yourself, whether it's starting a meetup or any other way that you can just be part of the community and network. You never know when somebody can help you in your journey. And you said the keyword, which is community. I think that's a better way of thinking about all of this, which is be part of the community and communities at their core are a group of people with something in common who want to help each other. That's it. And who understand each other. And so if you're part of a community, then that will just naturally occur. And being part of it isn't just plugging in and looking and observing, but also participating. That's the key whether it's on social media or even meetups or any type of community event, it's good being comfortable with communicating with others, whether it's in person or online, actively engaging with people. And it's difficult online, but it's once you get into the habit of it, it becomes easier, I feel. It's the confidence thing. Baby steps, post something, comment something. And then you become comfortable with it. And case in point, you found me through one of my LinkedIn posts. Yeah. (laughs) You did a presentation on how to show up on LinkedIn. Yeah, exactly. And it was using that framework of creating and participating in community to benefit others and yourself, essentially, for your professional development. And is a tool that, the network uses, hiring managers use, and the industry uses. So if there's one place you need to focus in on, it would be a great place. Yeah, I've seen it really work wonders. And it can if you use it intentionally like that. It's not an outlier or a rarity for people to use LinkedIn as a platform to engage with others and get immediate and long-term benefits. Speaking of networking, just having the confidence that you can talk to people who you haven't met. It's something that can help you in your career. Yeah, it's not this old-fashioned version of networking from 
five, 10, 20 years ago, right? It's, yeah, the image of, and I know this sounds very old fashioned and novel, but going to an in-person networking event and there's a hundred people there and you don't know where to start and you walk in the door and you're like, everyone here looks really cool and I'm not. Everyone here looks like they know what they're doing and I don't. And then who do I talk with? And it's awkward. And then the random exchange of business cards, whether or not it actually is based on a good conversation. Yeah, that's, I've been there, done that. I'm sure you have, I'm sure lots of other people have, but yeah, this is like the new model. And that's the nice thing about these platforms is they help us do that more easily. Start with people that you have affinities with. If you come out of an HCI program, find an HCI person. If you come out of criminal justice, find a person with a PhD in that. If you're wanting to work at a particular company, see if you're connected to someone who works there. Someone listens to your podcast as one, and then they message you and say, hey, I love your podcast. I really liked this guest, and I found this insightful. I just, I would love to connect with you and stay up to date. How would you respond to that? <laughs> yeah, I'd be flattered. <laughs> yeah, it's flattering, but it's also, they actually put effort into it, and it's not just a random, you can message people randomly, that's fine too, but it, there's more meaning to it. And people who you share an affinity with, I think you're just more inclined to want to help you or answer questions. So if you start with that, I think that's a lot more comfortable than kind of random reach outs, right? And then just to make it more comfortable, have very specific questions that you want to ask. Say it's an informational interview or you want to send a message, very specific questions, not, can you help me understand how to get a job in UX? No, (laughs) like Google that shit, right? Ask me like, Hey, I saw you went from anthropology into UX research and I have that background too. And what do you think was most helpful in communicating the value of an anthropology background for application and UX research? Okay. I can either answer that question or send them a couple of resources or whatever it may be. And then there's this other idea of don't just jump in with some request immediately without some kind of rapport. So hey, can you look at my resume and tell me what you think or my portfolio? You can find some people like that on mentoring sites, but they have to balance it and try to to make it reciprocally beneficial, even though you're networking in order to gain knowledge for yourself. That's just a known factor and people shouldn't feel bad about it. That's just the nature of this type of thing. That's a great point to start off small, even maybe even reaching out to people you worked with before and just getting into the habit of reaching out to people and talking to them. And one thing I realized uh, just the other day is that networking doesn't have to be new people all the time. It can be people you've worked with and to reconnect with them. So take the opportunity to make it low stakes and reach out to people you already know. And so you build up the conversation skill and being interested in the other people. That's a great point. And it doesn't occur to me to say that, but it is absolutely true. You know, I talk about networking with people. It's usually in the context of folks trying to 
get into UX research. That's that's for everyone, but especially important for them. And so that may not be quite as relevant for them if they don't have like past UX colleagues per se. But to your point, yeah, we should all maintain relationships with a selection of people that it really makes sense to. And usually those are the people that you just want to hop on a chat and you have no agenda and you're just catching up. And then you probably start to talk about work and this and that. And those are just, they're enjoyable, but you're kind of rekindling a connection just enough to maintain it. And it's mutually beneficial. And that's a really great point. Thanks. That's something that I've started practicing is just reaching out to people who I've worked with or who are in my network. It's, I mean, it's not, it's not easy because like you said, they need to be a select group of people who you feel comfortable with reaching out to from your past. This would be a good LinkedIn post for you. Yeah. Good point. (laughs) (laughs) I'll yeah. look for it on LinkedIn sometime soon. Yeah. yeah. On social media, people like one of your posts and reach out to them. They like what you're sharing. Find these opportunities to meet people and connect with them. Exactly. Uh, because you know, if you don't do it in your regular life or if you don't do it consistently, you're not going to do it when it counts. And so building that curiosity into what other people are doing and having conversations with them and learning about them, practicing your listening skills, all those things that UX professionals do at work, but outside outside of work, it's also applicable. And uh, yeah, that's, I think that's more a note for me than anybody else. <laughs> that's a good note for me too, just the importance of doing that to make sure I'm doing that to some extent. Yeah. One question I just realized I wanted to ask around values is, do you see people, clients who have never looked at their values, like they haven't done any self-reflection or anything like that? And where would you recommend people, how would you recommend people start to do that work? Yeah, as humans, we're all driven by and make decisions based on emotions and values and things like that. So who we choose to vote for and how that person matches our values to who we choose to date or what we buy at the store, just anything that has to do with living our lives, right? There's some value, some underlying values with regard to those decisions. But that doesn't mean people have actually sat down to make their list of values, or they don't quite know the words. They can describe their preferences. They can describe how they might make decisions in some way or why they like someone or not someone else. But if you can whittle it down to a single word, like accountability or integrity or financial security, right? If you can actually make your list of say your 10 core values and operationalize them. So you know what they look like in practice, how you want to practice the values and then how you want other people to respect the values in their own behaviors. It's just, yeah, a really great way to clarify. And if you go through an exercise of like articulating your values and reflecting on 
positive and not so great experiences and what that says about your values and which ones are being honored and which ones were not being honored. And that's an exercise that I have a lot of my clients do if I feel the need for that sort of thing, because it's a huge part of making a right decision for yourself, right? Is this path I'm taking, does it align with my values, right? So I have them do that exercise and the outcome is that list. And then also just some reflection on those sorts of things. And imagine you have your list of 10 and you write it on a sticky note and you just post it on your wall or something and you can look at it and go, hmm, okay. Like you just start to, it just starts to become non-negotiable just because you've thought about it a little bit more. And again, it's really important to operationalize them. So if you really care about autonomy in your work, what does that actually mean? Okay. Now that I know what that means and how I want autonomy to happen for me, now I can decide if this job I'm considering is going to provide me with that. Or if I'm in a job and I feel like I don't have as much autonomy as I want and people are just telling me what they want me to do and I don't have a choice, that means my autonomy value is being trampled on and I have to make a decision as to whether I want to continue putting up with that. Maybe it's worth it for some other things or maybe it's just too much of a compromise and I need to find something else. Yeah, I feel like values is the foundation that can everything is built upon that the your career strategy and your your mindset it all kind of starts with understanding your values and i actually i did i did a similar exercise and i found i believe it was james clear's values list there's 50 words on there and just like you said find the 10 and I actually found five and just, you just sit with those, think about them, see how they show up in your life, what's more important to you. So you kind of start living them and then they become part of you. And I think that's a great idea to put them up where you can see them and be reminded of what they are as you're making decisions throughout the day. I think it goes back to your question too, about if you're having certain experiences in the workplace Are you having, is there tension and frustration there because it's causing you to compromise your values or they're not being respected? That's a good way to assess, oh, this place is not right for me. So again, it's like data collecting and then comparing it with your list of values, whether it's your current situation or past or even a vision for what you want the future to be based on those values. Yeah, you're right. It's a cornerstone. What do you love most about coaching? What excites you about coaching? It's just, I get to constantly learn. (laughs) I've always been a lifelong learner type person. And I spent a lot of time in school and just always kind of absorbing new ideas and interesting things. And I'm a history buff. And then I went into UX research and my job was to learn stuff and then help other people learn stuff. And Coaching is the same thing. It's kind of like doing research with individual people on themselves. And so helping my clients gain insights and make decisions. And then I get to learn from them. I learn a lot from them. I learn a lot just through coaching conversations that helps me improve future coaching conversations, constantly learning. 
and working with people, a variety of people, it also requires that I'm learning more about topics that are relevant. So I really need to stay up to date with UX. I need to learn about the perspectives of recruiters, right? I've never been a recruiter. I've never been a manager. So I have limited personal experience and I cannot base all of my coaching just on my own stuff. I base it on what I see with all of my clients. And then I base it on this recruiter on YouTube or on LinkedIn, learning from them, following them, understanding their perspective. And now I have new information and even more refined, accurate information that I can provide. And I go to events, I do all of that. So that's still, I still need to stay plugged into all that stuff and make sure that I'm keeping abreast of changes and in, in order to have conversations about the job market and how recruiters think about stuff or whatever it might be. So I think really it's the learning. And then I think it's also the scope of impact that I'm able to have. I have a hundred percent impact through my work. I don't have 30% impact from my work. Like when I worked in companies, it's, like, and I'm just making up a number. I don't know what it was, but it wasn't as high of an amount as I wanted it to be. But you work on projects and the project gets canceled. You work on a bunch of stuff and you're like, we, your team knows what the team needs to do. But then an executive is just, no, we're going to do this other thing. The case might be like, that's really frustrating for a lot of people. And it was so frustrating for me to be in that environment and not see my really hard quality work go anywhere. And now working with individual people, there's always an impact. The impacts are significant. Helping people get a job, helping people get more money, helping people just feel better like that. I love that. And I love that's very validating for me. And one other thing I'll say too, though, is reflecting back on working in companies. If I could go back, I would change the way I think about impact and I would try to care about a lot less. I try to not care about the stuff that I can't control as in the organizational culture. I can't change the toxic organizational culture, right? Of a giant corporation. I can affect my little team in this corner. I can work with those people, make their work lives better, care only about what they think of my work and how they incorporate it. And look at all this other stuff and go, I can't control the fact that some decision maker wants us to go in another direction, right? Or that this product manager doesn't value the research or see why it's useful, right? I did my best. I can't control it. And so I, if I could go back again, I would try to think a little bit more how I do now, which is let's just have a very focused scope of impact. And then the rate of impact is just going to naturally be higher. Sure. Yeah. Good point. Would you also look at the relationship with the company a little differently looking at as a partnership instead of employee and employer? Would that change as well? Probably not because I kind of hate companies. I am very jaded about companies and capitalism and they exist 
to make money for people who already have money, essentially. And if you're an if you're employed, you're there to provide value through your labor, and you're not you're never going to be reciprocated fairly within businesses that profit off of you, right? So that's my beef with companies in general. What I would have changed is, again, just like not caring if this person was being an idiot or, you know what, I don't agree with the company strategy. Well, I'm just going to do my job and this is just a job. And that was part of the shift I had to make too in the past several years is not be fully tied in my personal identity to my career And that was a really hard nut to crack to not take all of that personally. And if I do work and I'm not validated and I see myself inextricably linked with my career and my self-worth, then of course I'm going to get burned out and feel crappy and hate my job. So that was also a big change that I had to make. I remember last time I was in the layoff and it really hit me hard because I was so, I identified so much with my job. If somebody asked me who was was a UX designer, and so now that I now after a few years, I realized just how much that led me into the downward spiral when I didn't have a job, and how much inner struggle that causes. So now that I've created a little bit of distance, I feel like I have better control of that. And so going back to that thought that if I was laid off today. How would I respond? And I feel like having that separation is important to be able to to not feel down on yourself and not be depressed and everything that comes with that. Right. Our jobs don't define our humanity. Even though in our society, you're not a worthy human unless you have a job. That's how our society is. If you are a high school dropout, or if you got laid off or fired, or you can't hold a job, or whatever, you can't get one in the first place, or you have a drug addiction and you lose your job, like all of these factors, right? If you don't have a job, then you are not worthy. That's why we call it like earning a living. We, sh- we have to literally make money to live and exist, and that's wrong. And so I think it, if we can like do some self-care in terms of reminding ourselves that we are not defined by our job and our value and our worth as a human should have nothing and has nothing to do with a job and contributing to some company's bottom line, that can be a game changer as well. And just a way of resisting and protecting yourself. I think that's where like real confidence can come in as well that, okay, I am not my job. I am not just a UX designer. That's not, I'm myself. I am a parent. I'm other things besides just my job or my role or my title. Exactly. And that can help you show up with confidence in interviews and in your conversations with others as well. Exactly. We do have to play a game though, right? It would be nice if we could just show up to an interview and they're like, well, why do you want this job? I want money. I want a paycheck so I can like pay my bills. That's not often acceptable. That's like usually not acceptable. What's acceptable is to perform some kind of response that may be true, right? You want a paycheck and you really align with this company. You want a paycheck 
and whatever other things. But oftentimes some people who really just do need a job, they are pressured to make up some story to have an answer to that question that is acceptable in that person's eyes. So if I haven't ever worked with a coach, what are some things that I need to keep in mind, some suggestions for people new to coaching? I think coaching, just like therapy and personal training and like any kind of self-centric, self-focused, self-care, personal growth type activities, it's it falls into that category, right? I've had coaches in the past. Most of the coaches I know, hopefully all of them, have also had coaches. It can serve a lot of purposes. Coaching is its own actual discipline. You can get training and certifications and that sort of thing. And really the goal is to just help guide people towards their own insights. Everyone has the answer inside themselves and yada, yada. And that's true. The way I practice coaching is a mix of that and strategizing and advising and that sort of thing. So I have more of a blend, but you will find coaches out there who either have more of a blend or they're a little bit more traditional. So, you know, if you're looking for a coach, I like, what kind of change do you want to make in your life? Or what are you struggling with that you could use some help exploring in conversations or maybe in a course? Some coaches offer like workshops and courses if you want to do more of a group thing or kind of an asynchronous thing. So identify like some goals that you have and start to look for coaches and not all coaches are equal. We have our different flavors and approaches and backgrounds and the people that I work with pretty much all come to me for various reasons, but one of them being that I have a career in UX and that's going to be different than a career coach who maybe they're a great coach, but they don't know anything about the field and that is it's just better, I think, to have someone who knows the field, right? Or maybe you want to look for a coach because you're like you're a person of color, you're a woman of color, and you want to find another woman of color coach who has a shared life experience and perspective as you. So I would say start to think about what you really want out of a coach and who would you align with and look at how they talk about themselves on their website and have a conversation with them just to learn a little bit more about their approach. And so that's really what I would start with. And then the coach is there to have kind of a semi-structured plan in mind, but it's always the client's agenda. Like it should always be about what that person is seeking. And the coach is there to again, guide that person towards their own insights and decisions and self-reflection, working towards those ultimate goals that, that person has. Doing your research on the coach, reading their blog posts, newsletter, sign up for it, and just get a feel for how they think, how they communicate, and if that aligns with your goals, like you said, that's the key. Make sure that those paths align so that mm -hmm. you can get the most from the coach. Exactly. It's just if you're looking for a personal trainer, what does that person focus on? How do they think about body image? Do they work on nutrition stuff? Whatever it might be. It's the same sort of thing where you want to find the person who really suits what you're looking for and who you can relate with. It's just a much more effective relationship for that reason. We're coming towards the end of our conversation 
And I asked my guest to share a challenge with the listeners on the topic that we talk about. Do you have a challenge in mind? One thing I would like to encourage people to consider is what muscles do they want to develop? So if you go to personal training, and the reason I keep bringing that up is because I do weight training. It's a hobby, and I really enjoy it, and it's a perfect metaphor, right? Your goal is I want to feel generally stronger, right? I want to compete in tournaments. I want to run a 5K, whatever. Like you have these bigger goals, but then you need to break them down into sub goals or smart goals, right? Some of us are familiar with the framework of smart goals, specific, measurable, actionable, relevant, and timely. And it's the same thing, right? Like you want to work with your trainer or your coach to identify what are the steps that we need to take? What are the actions associated? So you start lifting eight pound weights and then you move up to 10 and then you do more reps of 10 and then you can move up, right? So there are ways to build these muscles up and then overall build up your strength and do these other things. So I'd say it's the same thing for really anyone working on I don't know, personal or professional growth that they might want to achieve. So if it's something related to confidence, thinking about what is it that I want to be more confident in and how can I start to build up that confidence muscle and do little actions and practice, right? If it's building up confidence to post publicly on LinkedIn, start just by making a comment on someone's post, seeing how that feels and getting past any kind of fear around what other people might think. And do that for a bit. And then you might at some point feel ready to share your point of view on something in your own post and invite people to have a conversation. So I think there's just like little practices we can do for any of these goals that we might have that are, again, about intentionally and systematically building up a muscle towards a goal nice yeah i think that's a great way to to tackle any challenge that we have is to start small and build up that confidence and sometimes we forget this because we're so focused on that moment and can't see we can't take a step back first identifying what you want and then uh, figuring out the small steps that you need to get to that point and that's a great way to create goals that you can actually achieve and are meaningful and then will help you get to where you want instead of being so generic that they don't have any effect you can't jump from an eight pound weight to a hundred pound well i think that's a great challenge so thank you so much for that how can the listeners learn more about you and your coaching services. Yeah, my website is amysanti.com and people can learn more about my focus areas, my approach. I have a blog on there where I post about different career topics and whatnot. And then I'm on LinkedIn. People can just search for my name and follow or connect. And if they do and they found out through your podcast, I'd love to know that. Just out of curiosity's sake, but I always love to meet new people. So either one of those is fine. Yeah, I can definitely 
much for you on LinkedIn. I love seeing the posts that you've liked because they help me see things from a different angle and that we may gloss over and we take for granted, but they affect people and they can do some damage to people's lives. So it's good to keep those things in mind. So I appreciate you bringing all those things to light and, and making me think about those things and realizing that everything isn't all about work and business. There's a human element to, to it as well that we need to. Yeah. That is my goal with LinkedIn. I want to constantly learn, but I hope to engage with content that will get diffused out into my network in order to present some different perspectives on things that people might not have considered. And same for you, right? You're doing this podcast, you're talking with people who are providing some different perspectives, and you're using that to help other folks with their own challenges and goals. So thank you as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. If you, if any of this resonates with you, please reach out to Amy or me and just let us know. A lot of times I feel like I'm speaking into the void, but, (laughs) but, but, you know, just meeting people like you, Amy, and just learning each conversation. I learn a lot, just like you do in your coaching. You almost like level up after each conversation. There's some insight that made you think differently. Same here. After each conversation I have with my guests, I feel like I've leveled up and I keep repeating this on every episode that this is also therapy for me. <laughs> so, so that was the career strategist and yeah. coach for UX professionals, Amy Santee. The challenges that we have I love Amy's approach of being strategic, mindful, and intentional yeah. and I think with any type of career change. Another great idea Amy shared was the importance of networking for your career. (laughs) I used to be afraid of networking myself because I had some old version stuck in my head and plus being introverted and it all kind of showed up as anxiety. So I would avoid it at all costs. But now I've learned to be more comfortable with it, to understand the importance of it and to use it to my own benefit. So if this sounds familiar, know that networking is a secret weapon you can use in your job search and in your career in general. You can network within your company as well as outside to grow your network, to learn from others, to meet new people, and to gain insights and fresh perspectives. Both Amy and I would love to know if there are any insights that you learned and if there are any questions that you have, please reach out to either Amy or me on Twitter or LinkedIn. If you have any questions about coaching or finding a role in the UX field, please feel free to reach out to Amy and I will share the the links in the show notes. And yeah, so I wish you the best in your career search and I hope you enjoyed the conversation. This has been Unleash Your Mindset, a podcast for creatives. If you enjoyed this show, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast for more insights on how to unleash your mindset. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, stay strong.